Chapter Thirteen, Part One of Nana by Emile Zola, translated by Burton Rasco. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen, Part One. Towards the end of September, Count Mifa, who was to dine at Nana's that evening, came at dusk to inform her of a sudden order he had received to be at the Tuileries. The house was not yet lighted up. The servants were laughing very loudly in the kitchen he slowly ascended the staircase the windows of which shone in the prevailing warm shadow upstairs the parlour door made no noise as he opened it a rosy daylight was fading from the ceiling of the room the crimson hangings the capacious sofas the lacquer furniture all that medley of embroidered stuffs of bronzes and of china was already disappearing beneath a slowly deepening veil of gloom which penetrated the corners hiding alike the brilliancy of the ivory and the glitter of the gold and there in this obscurity by the aid alone of the light colour of her dress he beheld nana reclining in georges's arms all denial on their part was impossible he uttered a suppressed cry and stood as one lost nana sprang to her feet and pushed him into the bedroom to give the youngster time to get off come in here she murmured scarcely knowing what she said i will explain she was exasperated at being caught like that she had never before given way in such a manner at home in that parlour with the doors unfastened a number of things had tended to bring it about a quarrel with georges who was madly jealous of philippe he sobbed so bitterly on her neck that she could not resist scarcely knowing how to calm him and pitying him in her heart and on the one occasion when she was so foolish as to forget herself thus with a youngster who could not even bring her bunches of violets now as his mother guarded him so strictly the count must needs come and catch them really she had no luck that was all one got by being a good-natured girl however the obscurity in the bedroom where she had pushed the count was complete then feeling her way she went and rang furiously for a lamp after all it was that julien's fault if there had been a light in the parlour nothing of all this would have happened that stupid darkness which had come on had played the deuce with her heart i beg of you ducky be reasonable said she when zoe brought a light the count sitting down his hands on his knees looked on the ground overcome by what he had just seen he could not utter a word of anger he trembled as though seized with a horror which froze him this silent anguish deeply affected the young woman she tried to console him well yes i was wrong it was very naughty of me you see i am sorry for my fault i am very grieved as it annoys you so much come now you too be nice and forgive me she had sat down at his feet and was seeking his glance with a look of submissive tenderness to see if he was very angry with her then as heaving a deep sigh he recovered himself she became more wheedling the count yielded to her entreaties he merely insisted on georges being sent away but all illusion was gone he could no longer believe in nana's sworn fidelity on the morrow nana would deceive him again and he remained in the torment of possessing her simply through cowardice through his fright at the idea of living without her this was the epoch of her existence when nana brightened paris with an increase of splendour she became more imposing still on the horizon of vice she domineered over the city with the insolent display of her luxury with her contempt for money which caused her to publicly melt away fortunes in her mansion there was like the glare of a furnace her continual desires fed it 
the least breath from her lips would change the gold into fine ashes which the wind swept away at every hour never before had such a mania for expense been seen the house seemed built over an abyss into which men with their wealth their bodies even their names were precipitated without leaving the trace of a little dust behind this girl with the tastes of a parrot nibbling radishes and burnt almonds playing with her meat had bills to the extent of five thousand francs a month for her table in the servants hall there was an unbridled waste a ferocious leakage which emptied the casks of wine and ran up bills increased by three or four hands through which they passed victorine and francois reigned supreme in the kitchen where they invited their friends not to speak of a host of cousins whom they fed at their own homes with cold joints and meat soups julien exacted commissions from all the tradespeople a glazier did not put in a thirty-sous pane of glass but the butler had twenty added on for himself charles devoured the oats for the horses ordering double the necessary supply selling by a back door what came in by the front one whilst in the midst of this universal pillage of this sack of a town taken by assault zoe by great art succeeded in saving appearances covering the thefts of all the others the better to hide and secure her own but what was wasted was still worse the food of the previous day thrown in the gutter an encumbrance of victuals at which the servants turned up their noses the glasses all sticky with sugar gas-jets blazing away turned on recklessly sufficient to blow up the place and negligences and spitefulness and accidents all that can hasten ruin in an establishment devoured by so many mouths then upstairs in madame's rooms the downfall was even greater still dresses costing ten thousand francs worn only twice and sold by zoe jewels which disappeared as though they had crumbled away at the bottoms of the drawers idiotic purchases novelties of the day forgotten in a corner on the morrow and swept into the street she could never see anything costing a great deal without desiring it she thus created around her a continual devastation of flowers and precious knick-knacks being all the more delighted in proportion to the price paid for them nothing remained perfect in her hands she broke everything or it faded or became soiled between her little white fingers a strewing of nameless remnants of crumpled rags of muddy tatters followed in her wake then the heavy settlements burst out in the midst of this waste of pocket-money twenty thousand francs owing to the milliner thirty thousand to the linen-draper twelve thousand to the bootmaker her stable had swallowed fifty thousand in six months her dressmaker's bill had run up to a hundred thousand francs without her having added to her household which la bordette had estimated would cost on an average four hundred thousand francs yearly she reached that year a million amazed herself at the sum and quite incapable of saying where all the money could possibly have gone to men piled up one upon the other gold emptied out in barrowfuls were unable to fill that chasm which was for ever opening deeper and deeper beneath the foundations of her house in the disruption of her luxury nana however still nursed a last caprice agitated once more with the idea of redecorating her bedroom she thought she had at last found something to suit her fancy a room hung in tea-rose velvet padded and reaching up to the ceiling in the shape of a tent ornamented with little silver buttons and with gold lace and cords it seemed to her that this would look both rich and tender a superb background to her fair skin but the room however was merely to serve as a framework to the bed a prodigy of dazzling brightness nana dreamed of a bed such as was never seen before a throne an altar to which all paris would come to adore her sovereign nudity 
it was to be entirely of gold and silver like an immense jewel golden roses scattered over a silver network at the head a band of cupids amongst the flowers would be glancing down with laughter on their faces watching the voluptuous pleasures in the shadow of the curtains she had consulted la bordette who had brought two goldsmiths to see her they were already preparing the drawings the bed was to cost fifty thousand francs and mifa was to present her with it as a new year gift what surprised the young woman was that in this ever-flowing river of gold she was constantly without money some days she scarcely knew what to do for want of the most ridiculous sums of a few louis she had to borrow of zoe or else raise funds any way she could but before resigning herself to extreme measures she would sound her friends getting out of the men whatever they had about them even sue in a jocular sort of way for three months past she had especially been emptying philippe's pockets in this manner he now never called whenever there was a crisis at hand without leaving his purse behind him on leaving soon becoming bolder nana had begun to ask him for loans two hundred francs three hundred francs never more for bills becoming due or debts that could not remain longer unpaid and philippe who in july had been made a captain and paymaster of his regiment would bring the money on the morrow with the excuse that he was not rich for good madame hugon now treated her sons with singular harshness at the end of three months these little loans often repeated amounted to some ten thousand francs the captain still laughed in his hearty sonorous way yet he was growing thin appearing absent-minded at times with a look of suffering on his face but a glance from nana transfigured him in a sort of sensual ecstasy she was very playful with him intoxicating him with kisses behind doors bewitching him with sudden abandonments of herself which tied him to her petticoats the whole time he was off duty one night nana having mentioned that her name was also therese and that her saint's day was on the fifteenth october the gentlemen all sent her presents captain philippe brought his an old saxon china comfit box mounted with gold he found her alone in her dressing-room having just come out of her bath clothed only in a loose scarlet and white flannel dressing-gown and very busy examining the presents spread out on a table she had already broken a scent bottle in rock crystal in trying to take the stopper out oh you are too nice said she whatever is it show me what a child you are to spend your money in things like this she scolded him because he was not rich although really very pleased to see him spend all he had on her the only proof of love which ever touched her however she handled the comfit box wishing to see how it was made opening and shutting it take care he murmured it's not very strong but she shrugged her shoulders did he think she had the hands of a railway porter and suddenly the hinge remained between her fingers whilst the lid fell to the ground and broke she stood lost in amazement with her eyes fixed on the pieces oh it's broken said she then she began to laugh the pieces on the floor looked funny to her it was a nervous gaiety she had the stupid and cruel laugh of a child who founds amusement in destruction philippe was seized for a moment with a feeling of indignation the wretched woman did not know what agony that trifle had cost him when she saw him looking so upset she endeavoured to restrain herself anyhow it wasn't my fault it was cracked those old things never keep together it was the lid did you see the stupid way in which it fell off and she burst out laughing again but as the young man's eyes filled with tears in spite of his efforts to restrain them she lovingly threw her arms round his neck 
how silly you are i love you all the same if nothing was ever broken the dealers would never sell anything it's all made to be broken look at this fan it isn't even stuck together she seized hold of a fan and roughly pulled it open the silk tore in two that seemed to excite her to show that she did not care anything for the other presents as she had spoiled his she regaled herself with a general massacre knocking the different things about proving as she destroyed them all there was not one of them that was solid a glimmer lighted up her vacant eyes a slight curl of her lips displayed her white teeth then when all the things were in pieces she struck the table with her open hands looking very red and laughing louder than ever and stammered forth in a childish voice all gone no more no more then philippe yielding to the intoxication cheered up and pressing against her kissed her on the neck and bosom she abandoned herself to him clinging to his shoulders feeling so happy that she could not recollect ever having enjoyed herself so much before and without leaving go of him she caressingly said i say darling you might manage to bring me ten louis to-morrow it's an awful nuisance a baker's bill which is worrying me he became very pale then kissing her for a last time on the forehead he merely said i will do my best a pause ensued she was dressing herself he was pressing his face against the window-pane at the end of a minute he returned to where she stood and said slowly nana you ought to marry me the idea seemed so ludicrous to the young woman that she could not finish fastening her petticoats but my poor fellow you must be ill is it because i've asked you for ten louis that you offer me your hand never i love you too much for that what a stupid idea to get into your head and as zoe entered the room to put madame's boots on they dropped the subject the maid had at once caught sight of the remnants of the presents scattered over the table she asked if they were to be put anywhere and madame having said that they could be thrown away she gathered them up in her apron down in the kitchen the servants quarrelled together as they shared madame's leavings that day georges in spite of having been forbidden by nana to do so had sneaked into the house francois had plainly enough seen him come in but now the servants merely laughed among themselves over their mistress's embarrassments he had crept into the parlour when the sound of his brother's voice arrested his advance and with his ear at the keyhole he had heard all that had taken place the kisses the offer of marriage a feeling of horror froze him he went off idiotic and with a sensation of emptiness in his head it was only when he reached the rue richelieu in his room over his mother's that his heart found relief in furious sobs this time doubt was impossible an abominable vision kept appearing before his eyes nana in philippe's arms and it seemed to him an incest when he thought himself calmed memory returned and in a fresh fit of jealous rage he threw himself on his bed biting the sheets and uttering horrible oaths which increased his passion the rest of the day passed thus he complained of a headache so as to be able to remain in his room but the night was more terrible still a murderous fever shook his frame in a continuous nightmare if his brother had lived in the house he would have gone and stabbed him with a knife when day returned he tried to reason with himself it was he who ought to die he would throw himself from the window as an omnibus passed however towards ten o'clock he went out he wandered about paris rambled over the bridges and then at last felt an invincible longing to see nana perhaps with a word she would save him 
and three o'clock was striking as he entered the house in the avenue de villiers towards midday some shocking news had quite overwhelmed madame hugon philippe had been in prison since the previous evening accused of having stolen twelve thousand francs from the regimental chest for three months past he had been embezzling small sums hoping to replace them and hiding the deficit by means of false accounts and this fraud had succeeded thanks to the negligence of the managing council the old lady crushed by her child's crime uttered at first a cry of rage against nana she knew of philippe's intimacy with the young woman her sadness came from this misfortune which was the cause of her remaining in paris through the fear of some catastrophe but never had she dreaded such shame and now she reproached herself for having refused him money as though she had been an accomplice having sunk into an armchair her legs so to say paralyzed she felt herself useless incapable of doing anything only fit to die but the sudden thought of georges consoled her georges was left her he might do something perhaps save them both then without asking help from any one desirous of hiding all this amongst themselves she dragged herself along and ascended the stairs fortified by the thought that she still had one love remaining but the room above was empty the doorkeeper told her that m georges had gone out early the signs of a second misfortune hovered about the room the bed with its torn and crumpled sheets told an unmistakable tale of anguish a chair knocked over on the ground amongst some clothes seemed to forebode death georges was probably at that woman's and madame hugon with dry eyes and a firm step descended the staircase she wanted her sons she was going to demand them ever since the morning nana had had nothing but worry first of all there was that baker who as early as nine o'clock had called with his bill a mere nothing a hundred and thirty-three francs worth of bread which she had been unable to settle for in the midst of her regal style of living he had called twenty times exasperated at having lost the custom on the day he had declined to give further credit and the servants espoused his cause francois said that madame would never pay him if he did not make a great fuss charles talked of going upstairs to get an old bill for straw settled whilst victorine advised them to wait till some gentleman called and to get the money by going to the drawing-room when he was there the servants hall was deeply interested all the tradespeople were kept informed of what was going on there were gossipings of three and four hours duration madame was disrobed pulled to pieces talked about with the rancour of idle menials bursting with good living julien the butler alone pretended to take madame's part she was all the same a fine woman and when the others accused him of having enjoyed some of her favours he laughed in a foppish sort of way which put the cook beside herself for she would have liked to have been a man to spit on such women they disgusted her so much francois had maliciously left the baker waiting in the hall without informing madame as she came downstairs at lunch-time she found herself face to face with him she took his bill and told him to call again about three o'clock then muttering a number of filthy expressions he went off swearing to be punctual and to pay himself some way or other nana made a very poor lunch being upset by this scene this time she would have to satisfy the man on ten different occasions at least she had put the money for him on one side but somehow or other it had always dribbled away one day for flowers or another day for a subscription for an old gendarme she was however counting on philippe and was even surprised that he had not already been with his two hundred francs it was awful ill luck 
two days before she had again rigged out satin a regular trousseau spending nearly twelve hundred francs in dresses and underclothing and she had not a louis left towards two o'clock as nana was beginning to be anxious la bordette called he brought the designs for the bedstead it was a diversion and produced a fit of joy which caused the young woman to forget everything else she clapped her hands she danced then brimful of curiosity leaning over a table in the parlour she examined the drawings which la bordette explained to her you see this is the boat in the centre a bunch of full-blown roses then a garland of flowers and buds the leaves will be in green gold and the roses in red gold and this is the great design for the head a troop of cupids dancing in a circle against a silver trellis but nana interrupted him carried away by rapture oh isn't he funny the little one the one in the corner turning a somersault and look at his saucy laugh they've all got such wicked eyes i say my boy i shall have to be careful of what i do before them she was in an extraordinary state of satisfied pride the goldsmiths had said that no queen ever slept on such a bedstead only there was a slight complication la bordette showed her two designs for the piece at the foot the one which reproduced the subject of the boat and cupids the other which was altogether a new design a female figure representing night enveloped in her veil which a fawn was drawing aside displaying her radiant nudity he added that if she selected this second design the goldsmiths intended to make the figure representing night like her this idea which was in questionable taste made her turn pale with pleasure she saw herself as a little silver statue the symbol of the tepid voluptuous pleasures of darkness of course you will only sit for the head and shoulders said la bordette why asked she coolly looking him in the face as it is a question of a work of art i shan't care a fig for the sculptor who copies me so it was settled she chose the second subject also but he stopped her wait it will cost six thousand francs more well that's all the same to me cried she bursting out laughing my little muff will pay it was thus she called count mifa now amongst her intimate acquaintances and the gentleman never asked after him otherwise than as did you see your little muff last night ah i thought i should have found the little muff here a simple familiarity which however she did not as yet allow herself to make use of in his presence la bordette rolled up the drawings as he gave her some final information the goldsmiths engaged to deliver the bedstead in two months time towards the twenty fifth of december the very next week a sculptor would come to make the rough model for the figure of night as she walked with him to the stairs nana remembered the baker and said suddenly by the way do you happen to have ten louis about you one of la bordette's principles and which he found invaluable was never to lend money to women he always gave the same answer no my girl i'm quite stumped but would you like me to call on your little muff she refused it was useless two days before she had got five thousand francs out of the count following la bordette though it was scarcely half-past two when he called the baker reappeared and he roughly seated himself on a bench in the hall swearing very loud the young woman was listening to him up on the first floor she turned pale she suffered especially at hearing up there the secret joy of the servants they were splitting their sides with laughing in the kitchen the coachman looked on from the yard francois passed across the hall without any necessity and then went and told the others how things were progressing 
after bestowing a chuckle of intelligence on the baker they did not care a straw for madame the walls seemed bursting with the sounds of their mirth she felt herself all alone despised by her servants who spied on her and bespattered her with their filthy jokes then as she had had an idea of borrowing the hundred and thirty-three francs from zoe she gave it up she already owed her some money she was too proud to risk a refusal so strong an emotion possessed her that she returned to her bedroom saying aloud never mind my girl only depend upon yourself your body's your own and it's best to make use of it rather than to submit to an insult and without even ringing for zoe she hastily dressed herself to go to old Triconst. it was her supreme resource in the hours of great distress very much asked for always required by the old woman she refused or accepted according to her wants and the days which were becoming more and more frequent when she suffered from any embarrassment in her royal career she was always sure of finding twenty-five louis awaiting her there she would go to old Tricons in the easy style gained by habit the same as poor people go to the pawn-shop but on leaving her bedroom she ran up against georges standing in the middle of the parlour she did not notice his wax-like paleness the dull light in his wide-open eyes she uttered a sigh of relief ah you've come from your brother no said the youngster turning paler still then she made a gesture of despair what did he want why was he standing in front of her come she was in a hurry and she passed him then retracing her steps she asked have you any money with you no it's true how stupid of me never a thing not even the six sous for their omnibus mamma won't what men and she was hurrying off but he stopped her he wished to speak to her she excited kept saying that she had not time when with a word he made her leave off listen i know you are going to marry my brother well that was comic she dropped into a chair to laugh at her ease yes continued the youngster and i will not have it it is i whom you must marry that is why i have come eh what you also she exclaimed is it then a family complaint but never what an idea did i ever ask you to do such a disgraceful thing neither the one nor the other never then georges face brightened up he might by chance have been mistaken he resumed then swear to me that you are not my brother's mistress ah you're becoming a confounded nuisance said nana rising to her feet impatient to be off it's funny for a minute but i tell you i'm in a hurry i'm your brother's mistress when i choose to be do you keep me do you pay here that you come and call me to account yes i'm your brother's mistress he had seized her arm and squeezed it almost enough to break it as he stammered out don't say that don't say that with a slap she freed herself he's whipping me now the young monkey my little fellow you must be off and at once too i've let you be here through kindness it's just so however wide you may open your eyes you didn't expect i suppose to have me for your mamma until the day of my death i've something better to do than to nurse brats he listened to her in an agony which stiffened his limbs and left him powerless each word stabbed him to the heart with a blow so hard that he felt it was killing him she not even noticing his suffering continued happy at being able to vent herself on him for all her worries of the morning 
it's just the same with your brother he's a nice one he is he promised me two hundred francs ah well i may wait forever for him it's not that i care about his money not enough to pay for my pomades but he's left me in a fix now would you like to know well through your brother's fault i'm going out to earn twenty-five louis from another man then in a state of bewilderment he stood before the door and he cried and implored clasping his hands together and muttering oh no oh no well i'm willing said she have you the money no he had not got the money he would have given his life to have had it never before had he felt so miserable so useless such a child all his poor body shaken with sobs expressed a grief so great that she ended by seeing it and feeling for him she pushed him gently on one side come ducky let me pass you must be reasonable you're a baby and it was all very nice for a week but to-day i must attend to my affairs think it over now your brother too is a man i don't say with him ah do me a kindness don't mention to him anything of all this he has no need to know where i'm going i always say too much when i'm angry she laughed then putting her arms round him and kissing him on the forehead she added good-bye baby it's over all over you understand now i'm off and she left him he was standing in the centre of the parlour the last words sounded like a knell in his ears it is over all over and the ground seemed to open beneath his feet in the vacuum of his brain the man who was awaiting nana had disappeared philippe alone remained continually in the woman's bare arms she did not deny it she certainly loved him as she wished to spare him the grief of knowing her to be unfaithful it was over all over he drew a long breath he gazed round the room choked by a weight that was crushing him recollections returned to him one by one the merry nights at la mignotte hours of love during which he thought himself her child then voluptuous pleasures snatched in that very room and never never more he was too little he had not grown quick enough philippe had taken his place because he had a beard so it was the end he could no longer live his vice had become full of an infinite tenderness of a sensual adoration in which his whole being was centred then how could he forget when his brother would remain there his brother who was of the same blood another self whose pleasure drove him mad with jealousy it was the end he wished to die all the doors were left open as the servants noisily scuttled about they having seen madame go out on foot downstairs on the bench in the hall the baker was laughing with charles and francois as zoe crossed the parlour at a run she appeared surprised at seeing georges and asked him if he was waiting for madame yes he was waiting for her he had forgotten to tell her something and when he was again alone he ferreted about finding nothing better he took from the dressing-room a pair of sharply pointed scissors which nana was continually using cutting her hang-nails and little hairs with them then for an hour he waited patiently his hand in his pocket his fingers nervously clutching the scissors End of chapter 13 part 1